Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please, very quickly. 2 Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34. As you do so, keep your finger also in 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22, 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to read from chapter 34, 2 Chronicles tonight. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, share your Bible with them, if you would, please. I want to ask all the adult growth group teachers, if you would, after, after we do some uh, things about 15 minutes after the service is over, we need to meet for about 5 or 10 minutes just to walk through some things for Sunday. So all adult growth group uh, teachers, you will meet me for that. That will be a blessing. Second Chronicles 34, verse 1. I tell you what, let's read together. I'll read the odd number verses, you read the even number verses. Does that sound like a deal? Amen? I'll read odd, you read even tonight, okay? I'll start. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. Congregation, and he did that. For in the eighth year of his reign, right in your margin of your Bible there, at age 16, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after God, the God of David, his father, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Congregation, and they break down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images, he break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Congregation. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. In verse 8. And Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Father, tonight, thank you for the reading of the Word of God. We thank you that, Lord, whether it's the reading of your Word, the memorization of your Word, the meditation upon your Word, the study of your Word, and the preaching of your Word, that, God, you so long to bless it. And tonight, we want to be sensitive that what we have before us is not just another book. It's the living book. It's the living Word. It's the book of God. We thank you that we hold in our possession incorruptible seed and precious seed. The flower fadeth and the grass uh, withereth, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Thank you tonight that we hold in our possession a book that's inspired, a book that's inerrant, a book that's infallible, but a book that's been preserved, Lord, for the ages. Thank you tonight, Lord, that your word changes lives, that the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Thank you tonight that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Thank you tonight that your word is a fire that burns away the dross of sin. Thank you tonight that your word is a hammer that breaks up the hardest of our hearts. Thank you tonight that it's the sharp two-edged sword that pierces and divides asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrows and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Thank you tonight that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Thank you tonight that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. 
Lord, and it's profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. And while, Lord, the trend may be today that churches across the landscape are getting away from the preaching of your word and want to have more teaching time and to have teachers who, have, who, who, who will touch, they'll, they'll get to them who have itching ears. We pray, Father, tonight that you'll help me to stand before this pulpit and to preach the word and to be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so tonight we pray that you'd permeate our hearts and meet our needs. We call upon you as the great physician tonight who heals the sick, that God, you do a doctoring work spiritually in our hearts. And we pray that this evening that the word of God would be the bomb of Gilead that would touch our souls with medicine from on high and help us this evening. Bless the service tonight and the presentation to follow, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our study tonight is about another king. We've been on a series of messages and studies on prophets and kings for about two years, and we have several more we'll cover as time goes along. And tonight we're looking at a king by the name of Josiah. We see Josiah here coming to the throne at the age of eight. We see Josiah later on at the age 16 that the Bible says at that point of time that he sought the Lord with all his heart and he sought after God to walk in the ways of David his father. In the same verse we read that at age 20 or 21 that he began a purging of the land. We find a man that was young in his age but made some monumental decisions. A question I want to ask you tonight is, for those of you who are over 20, what is the most memorable thing that you did when you were age 16? What is the thing that you remember most about being age 16? Was it uh, passing the written and driving test to get your driver's license? I think for a lot of people that's probably the most dramatic thing that they could think of at 16. Was it taking the SAT and hopefully getting a score that you could talk about? Or was it perhaps making varsity on the sports team? Whatever it was, what was the most monumental thing that you did at 16? Maybe for some of you who have yet to attain 16, you're dreaming about what I would do at 16. You're probably dreaming like every carnal teenager. I can't wait to drive my parents' car, only to find out you get a rude awakening, you won't get to drive until it went ever. Amen? You know, maybe that's the thought you got there. But tonight we're looking at a young man by the name of Josiah, a young man who did some incredible things as a youth. I believe young people can still change the world. I still believe young people can make a difference. I still believe young people can do something great. And if you're tonight a high schooler or middle schooler, my prayer tonight is that you'll just uh, study the life of Josiah with me this evening, and maybe God will put a holy stirring in your heart about your life. Notice some important markers about Josiah. At the age of Kate, at the first marker we see at the age of eight in verse one, he began to reign. Now he came to reign because his father was assassinated. His father's name was Ammon. Ammon only reigned on the throne for two years, but Ammon wrecked havoc in two years. He took, he took everything that had been reversed and took it forward again. He brought paganism and idolatrous worship back in the kingdom and did some terrible, terrible things. We read about that in verses 21 to 25 of the previous chapter. But at the age of eight, Josiah came to the throne because his father had been assassinated. At the age of 16, the second mark we find, at the age of 16, or the eighth year of his reign, that's when the Bible says in verse 3, he began to seek after the God of David his father. 
At the age of 20 or 21 or the 12th year of his reign, he, 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 he kind of matured in the word and matured in the things of God. And the Bible says he put into action things he was learning. He began to purge the kingdom. And then we notice something else. We find later on at the 18th year, we find when he was 26, we find a fourth marker. And it's during that time that he uncovers and finds the word of God. Now, there's a term they would use for a young man that was just doing these astronomical things. And that term would have been the boy wonder. You know, they gave that to uh, Batman sidekick Robin. They called him the boy wonder. And uh, you would say probably Josiah was a boy wonder. He was not your typical youth. He wasn't the kind of kid that would hang around malls. Thank God for that. Amen. He wasn't the kind of kid that hung around Great America more than anything else or was on his cell phone. He was in, his, he was in the Bible, the Word of God. He wasn't your typical youth that just kind of hung out. There was something uniquely different about this young man. As we look at him, we have the record here of a young man who changed his world, who changed things and made a difference. 2 Kings 23, 25, if you'll turn to that, says this about Josiah. It says, And like unto him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. What an incredible statement to say about a young man's biography or any man's biography. There was no king before him or after him that sought God with all his heart, soul, and mind. Now, there's a lot of things people can write about a biography. They could talk about how many books they wrote. They could talk about how many businesses they built. They could talk about all these different things. But I can't think of a better biography, a better statement made about your biography than this, that you sought God with all your heart. The most important thing you want people to remember is not what did you leave behind, but how many lives were impacted by your life and what did you do for God may be said for every one of us when you're eulogized one day that may be said that, that you sought God with all your heart this past Monday we were privileged to do the memorial service the going going home uh, uh, service for Mrs. Mildred Wong Mildred was one of our founding members of the church she was here from the very first time the church started Mildred when she went home to be with the Lord was 94 years of age we thank God that she, the last time we remember her being here just just having any semblance of doing anything was back in July and because because of ill health and things like that, but we thank God she was here. And I was thankful for this three of our, our career-age ladies who, who kind of ministered to behind the scenes to Mildred. They would drive her. They would go visit her. They'd spend time with her. They'd have meals with her. And I was just telling the staff, you know, I was just, was just so encouraged by the tributes that they gave. I could have gave an invitation after the tributes, and I think people would have gotten saved. And they just kind of laid the groundwork. But everything said about Mildred without anybody corroborating their notes was all consistent. This was a lady that loved God. This was a lady that loved church. This was the lady that talked to people about her church. I mean, I was amazed that all her relatives would say, Pastor Fong, Mildred talked a lot about you. And I always say, well, what did she say? Did she say something good or something bad? What did she say, you know? But, uh, but she always loved to talk about her church. She loved to talk about her preacher. She liked to talk about the staff. She liked to talk about the deacon. She liked to talk about her Sunday school. She loved to talk about the food that we ate, amen? Because this is an eating church here, amen, you know? But uh, she liked to talk about all those types of things there. What a good testimony that when we got to the, the message and talked about her, every attention was just right on things we were saying about, about, about her, wove it down to the end, gave invitation, and five of her relatives trusted Jesus Christ their Savior. They gave acknowledgement to raise their hands that they called on the Lord to save them. And I can attribute that not to the message, not necessarily even to the tributes, but to the fact that everything that was said corroborated with her life. She was a woman that sought God with all her heart. You know, there's a lot of things you could do. You could seek your career. I mean, I think of what, what Jeremiah said to the Rechabites, seek us out great things for themselves, seek them not. There's a lot of great things we could seek for. We could seek to go around the 
world. We can seek to go to a lot of places. We can want to do a lot of things. And those are good things. Don't get me wrong. You ought to travel the world, and you ought to go see some things while you have time. And you ought to try to do all you can. But maybe said more than anything else, like it said here of this man Josiah, that you sought God with all your heart, that you loved the Lord your God. Maybe said that there was something overflowing about your life, about the love you had for Jesus Christ. When we look at the life of Josiah, there's so many things I could say about him. There's probably 10 messages about this man's life, and I don't have time to get into all 10. But I can say this. Josiah, at the beginning of the age of eight, and get really getting blossoming at age of 16, Josiah was a man that was greatly used of God. And I want to say tonight this. As we look at the message, we want to look at the subject of how to be used of God. Now, if you're serving God, I think you're, you're heart of heart like mine's more than anything else, you want God to use you. Amen? You want God to use you to make an impact. We have a missionary here tonight. He's going to an area of the world where, where the gospel is being preached, and he came from that country over here to seek the good life. God worked in his heart, and he realized there's more than the good life, there's the God life, amen? And he's going back to his country where people are going to scratch their heads thinking, man, people, get, they spend the money to go from the Philippines to the United States for the good life. Why are you coming back here? And what a great testimony you can give them. I came back here because I love your soul, and I want you to know I've got good news for you and that Jesus can save you. And so, you know, we, we want to realize tonight that, that we want to be used of God. I'm reminded this evening about a woman by the name of Audrey Meyer. Audrey Meyer wrote a song that we used to sing in, in the old days called To Be Used of God. It's a great song. It still should be sung. And it goes like this in the lyrics. I have a yearning in my heart that cannot be denied. It's a longing that has never yet been satisfied. I want the world to know the one who loves them so. Like a flame, it's burning deep inside. And she wrote this in the chorus. To be used of God, to sing, to speak to pray, to be used of God, to show someone the way. I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. To be used of God is my desire. As he wrote in the second stanza, when I think about the shortness of my earthly years, I remember all the wasted days, the wasted tears. I long to preach the word to those who've never heard of the one who can dispel all fears. And my prayer tonight, that when we're done with this studying Josiah, we'll see all the remarkable things he did, and we'll catch his heart for God. But may it be tonight more than anything else that God instills in your heart in my heart a great desire to be greatly used of the Lord notice tonight we see Josiah Josiah was greatly used of God because he had a focus I want you to see four things tonight they had a focus on that helped him to be used of God and each of those four years God used him and I want you to think with me tonight if you were Josiah would you have done the same thing and if you were Josiah how would you do that and knowing that you're not Josiah where you're at in life are you at a place in life where God can use you in a very same way as he used this man by the name of Josiah. Notice first of all chapter 34 beginning in verses 1 to 3 we notice Josiah was greatly used of God. Number one because he had a focus on his soul. He had a focus on his soul. He focused on the thing most important of, uh, about a man and that is his soul. Our Lord Jesus Christ said this what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet lose his own soul? When God made us, the emphasis he made of us, this trichotomy, is spirit, soul, and body. When a child is born in this world, we unfortunately put the emphasis on the fleshly, on the material. The baby cries. We respond to the baby because we know either the baby's hungry or the baby wants his diaper change. That's its method of communication. And sometimes parents get a little jittery, especially if it's the first one. They get a little jittery. Every time the baby cries, they got to run to that baby. And they don't realize that 
little, that little conniver is manipulating them, amen? He's already manipulating them to do what they want to do. And parents who figure that out soon realize, you know, you, you, can, you need to train your child in the way in which he should go. And when he's older, you not depart from that. Well, Josiah was a young man, as you'll notice here tonight, that the focus in his life, beginning at age eight, was his soul. Look what the Bible says here. He was eight years old in verse one when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He didn't have any prep classes. He's eight years old, and I don't know about you, we've got a couple eight-year-olds right now in the room. I cannot imagine one of these eight-year-olds being the president of the United States, amen? That would be, that's pretty scary right now, amen, okay? And uh, that little Daniel, is Daniel here? Where's Daniel? Is Daniel? Yeah, Daniel, I'm talking about you. Yeah, that's right, okay? Don't, we don't want you pressing any buttons there, amen, you know? But, but you know what I mean by that. I mean, what a scary thought. Hey, Josiah didn't have any time for anyone to prepare him. He didn't have any prep classes. He wasn't given a short course on how to be king. He had to become king immediately because look what it says in the previous chapter. It says in verse 25, but the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon and the people of the land made Josiah's son king in his stead. I mean, they had to have a king. They had to have somebody as a figure there. He's eight years old trying to figure out what am I supposed to do here? Man, eight years old, you're playing Legos, amen? Eight years old, you're not, you're not thinking about being a king and all the major decisions. I mean, I don't think he, he had any idea of the economic decisions and the international decisions and domestic relations and all these things he has to deal with and personnel issues. I don't think it crosses his mind. All of these things, all he's thinking about, I just want to be an eight-year-old, but he became a king. And then it says something very interesting. We get a little bit further. Verse 2 says, and he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. I'm glad he didn't say he went and played his Legos. Amen. I'm glad he didn't say that he went and hung out at the mall. I'm glad he didn't say he went off and did, did what little boys do. He was mischievous. No, it says in verse 2, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Somewhere along the ways we'll see tonight, someone had enough influence on him to realize that God is watching all the time, and if God is watching all the time, we better do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Amen? And so verse 2 says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right end or the left. Now as we consider this man's soul for just a moment. I want you to consider with me tonight, he had a dysfunctional heritage. Now, he truly came from a dysfunctional home. I mean, he came from a messed up home and a messed up heritage, okay? I mean, I just want, I just want to tell you what he came out of. So when you start thinking, well, you don't understand Pastor Fong. You don't understand my background. I may not understand your background, but I understand his background. And before you make excuses why you can't do something for God, you better look at his background because he did something for God, amen? And you notice some things here about his background. First of all, his father was Ammon. Now, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to trash talk his dad, but I want you to see some things about what the Bible says about his dad. Look at the previous chapter. It says in chapter 33, verse 21, it says his father did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's a contrast. Here is the son at eight years old, between eight and 16, he had to make some serious decisions. And I, I'll tell you who influenced him. He had to make some serious decisions. And he decided, if my father did evil in the sight of the Lord, I better do right in the sight of the Lord. But Ammon did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Ammon, in verse 22, he brought back and, and re resurrected all the, all the uh, idol worship that his father Manasseh had done, and he, served, and he served these idols. Look at verse 23. And he humbled not himself before the Lord. He was a proud man. He was a conceited man. He was an arrogant man. He, and the Bible says this about him, which is even more scary. Look at verse 23. But Ammon trespassed more and more. Man, to talk about a legacy that you leave behind, this guy was an idol worshiper. He led other people to worship idols. He he used his influence in the wrong way. He used his influence to lead people in the wrong way, not the right way. And the Bible says, describes it this way, he trespassed more and more. That's pretty scary. 
I mean, he had no conscience about what he was doing. He, his conscience was only seared. He was defiled. He did that which was wrong. He was so evil that his own servants conspired against him. They said, we can't. He's so wicked. His own servants conspired against him, and they did it to the risk of their own lives because they assassinated this king. That, that was the father, yeah. He was an eight-year-old boy from an infant to the age of eight, watching his daddy do all these wicked things. Well, to make things even more, to thicken the plot even more, consider his grandfather was Manasseh, and we saw him last week. Manasseh was on the throne for 55 years, and most of those 55 years, he led the country in a far, far away from where He was a very wicked man himself. He reigned 55 years. The Bible says Manasseh did worse than all his predecessors, and one of the reasons why God brought the Babylonian captivity upon Israel, upon, excuse me, upon Judah, was because of the deeds of Manasseh. So taking account here, he had a grandfather for 55 years of his life who neglected the things of God. He had a short period of time where he had revival in his heart, and he got some things right, but he didn't change everything all the way. He had a father for two years who went on to live for God. Watch what happens. The 57 years before he gets to the throne, before Josiah comes to the throne, for 57 years he has his legacy of a dysfunctional home. And to make things, to, to thicken the plot even more, if you take the 15 years before that, his great-grandfather, Hezekiah, for 15 years, went AWOL on God, right? Because all he focused on was building his conduits and building his canals and connecting waterways. He was more concerned about getting water into the city and they, instead of getting the water of life to sinners. Amen? I mean, that's where his focus was. He got focused more on the material than he did the spiritual. I mean, watch this. For 72 years, the kingdom was out strong spiritual leadership. That's what, that's what Josiah came into. And if you want to think about it for a moment, he came from a dysfunctional heritage. I mean, he had the odds against him because if your great-grandfather was absent from the Lord and your grandfather was not serving God and your father was wicked and evil, I mean, what are the odds that you're going to turn out right? But something very interesting. Look. And Second King tells us in verse uh, later on that he had a mother whose name was Jedida. And his mother, Jedida, her name means beloved of the Lord, or my, the Lord is my darling. And if there's any shining light, thank God he had a mother that loved him. Thank God he had a mother that poured her heart into him. Thank God he had a mother in spite of all the dysfunctional things. And you can imagine the clash that was going in that home. Here she has this husband that's leading the country down, down the road to hell. And she's trying to think, well, I've got this son. And I'm not sure what she did. But I have to think as I read Proverbs 31 about a, about a godly mother who later on her children rise up and call her blessed. I can't help but think that in her mouth was the law of kindness. Amen. I can't help but think but she served the Lord. And I can't help but think that she said, well, I've got to overcome evil with good. And maybe what she did instead of condemning her husband and being critical of her husband she instead of doing all that and being negative about that she did the positive things she lifted up Jesus Christ amen she lifted up the Lord hey let me tell you tonight that, that's what 1 Peter 3 teaches us when we're living at home and they're members of our family who are not saved and we just keep preaching to them and we keep on being negative to them and we keep on presenting God as a God who's a, ju a judge and he is and they don't see the other side that, he's, that Jesus Christ is full of grace as well as truth amen and they don't see the mercy as long with, with the judgment listen they're they're, they're a concept of God is God is a father that I really don't want to have. And that's, that's what people think. And they think if, if God is a father like a dysfunctional father that I had, why would I want God my father? I think this woman, his mother, pointed her son realizing, I want you to see a God who's holy, but a God who's loving. And a God who's just, but a God who's merciful. A God who's got grace, but a God who's also has to be truthful. I think she pointed her son to the fact that there's a God in heaven who's great, and he's creator God, and he's mighty God, and he's almighty God, and the most high God, and he's never 
ever changing, and he's full of and he's full of grace and truth and like that. And I think she pointed him to the Lord, and through that pointing to the Lord, it shaped him. So when he got to the throne, he walked in all the white ways of God. And so notice in verses two and three, we see this young man who had a devoted heart. Because his focus was on his soul. Now, in all the things you did today, could I ask you a question? How much did you focus on your soul? Did you feed your soul? Did you build up your soul? Did you emphasize your soul? What's happening in your soul? If your heart is filled with conflict and heaviness, is it because of you or is it because of God? And I want to tell you tonight that great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I will tell you tonight, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I'm just saying tonight, how are we doing with our soul life? What's our soul life doing? When's the last time you checked into the, and you checked into the, the hospital room of God's word and asked God to do an MRI of your soul and determine how's your soul doing? How's your heart doing? How are your bowels of mercies doing? How's your life doing for Jesus Christ right now? As soon as he had a devoted heart, he did that was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David, his father. And I love verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, he's starting to get this all together now. While he was young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. Best time to seek the Lord is when you're young. Everybody here this evening, under 21, you ought to decide tonight, I'm going to seek the Lord because I'm young. That's not even, that shouldn't even be a discussion point, amen? I mean, you just decide right now, I'm going to serve God while I'm young. Remember your creator in the days of your old age? Youth. Best time to seek the Lord is in the early days of your salvation. Hey, have you been saved recent days? Best time to serve the Lord? Right now. People get saved. First thing you do, I told our, our, some of our classes the other Sunday, first thing you do from now on, they get saved, you tell them, look, we have, a, we have a next step class, we have a right start class, I want you to come to, come to church this Sunday for 10 minutes after class, someone will show you what the right steps are you need to take in the Christian faith. They need to get started right. Get started right. They need to realize you don't just go back to your old ways and doing your old thing, there's something different. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man therefore be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. It's time to seek the Lord is now. Notice something else. It says he walked in the ways of David, his father. Now, he needed a model. Ammon wasn't a model. Manasseh wasn't a model. But you know, he did something I wish our millennials would do right now. He chose a, he chose a historical figure. He chose a spiritual forefather that he says, you know what? I can build a connection to someone who is a great model. Guess who that model was? It was David, his father, amen? And then when it says David, his father, he went back in time. Someone got him the word of God, and someone showed him and told him about David, and someone told him about David was more than just a king, and David was more than just a psalm writer. They told him that David was a man who had a heart for God. He was a man after God's own heart. That's how he was described. He was a man who served, the, he served his generation by the will of God. He was a man who loved the Lord. They got around, they got him around David and he made decisions. I'm not sure everybody else's model, but the model I'm gonna follow with a devoted heart is to seek the Lord with all my heart like David did. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 18. Then answered one of the servants and he said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and comely person, and the Lord is with him. That's at 16 years of age. And he thought, I'm 16. There's my model. 
If that man became the, the successful king after Saul, that's my model. Listen, you don't have to look at the wasteland of somebody that failed. Look at the ones who succeeded. Look at the fact that there was David, your father, to model. Listen, every millennial can say, well, I don't, have a, I don't have a figure I can follow. You don't need to follow those figures. What you need to do is look at the ones that are succeeding and doing the job for God. Acts 13, 22, and when he removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Boy, there's some good stuff there about David. Acts 13, 36, for David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. What a devoted heart. I imagine as a young man, eight years of age, to get that devoted heart, he started asking some major questions. He said, hey, tell me about David and his fate. Hey, tell me about David and his vision. Hey, tell me about David and what did he sing about? And by the way, if you read the Psalms, his music's consistent. It's all about Jesus, amen? He, talked, he said, I want to look to David and his steadfastness. I want to look to David and his leadership. David was an example of great leadership. He said, I've got to have a model. Let me tell you tonight, if you're looking for a model of your life, it's right here. Every model you need is right here. It's here. Interesting enough, Josiah's name means fire of the Lord. Or he who's healed of the Lord. And he got a fire in his bosom because as he got the devotion, his heart, he started learning as a young man. I, if there's a model I need to follow, I need to follow the model of David, my father. And so he had a focus on his soul. Notice secondly, very quickly, notice he had a focus on his society. You know, when God starts working your heart and you start developing your soul life and you get a concern for people and you get a concern about the word of God and doing something with it, you get a concern for other people around you and he got a concern about his society. He got a concern about his people. He got a concern about Judah. He got a concern about Jerusalem. He got a concern about the 12 tribes. He got a concern about what's going on. He had a concern for society. And what you notice is in verse three, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father, and in the 12th year, he's 20 or 21 now, he began to purge. And you want to circle the word purge. Purge means to eliminate, to extricate, to eradicate, to remove. It has the intention that once you eliminate it, it ain't coming back. Amen? The 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. And I wanted to notice some things here because along the way I can't help but think that he read Psalms chapter 15. Psalms 15 was written by David after that great disaster had happened when, they, when, when, uh, when they, they, they made that new ox cart. Remember the story about the new ox cart? I think it was in 2 Samuel 6. And, and uh, they, 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 they made the new ox cart and so which they weren't supposed to do. And Uzzah touched, touched the ark of God and he was slain. And David, David started thinking, man, man, God is really serious about what he does. And God started working David. And through his devotion, David wrote in Psalm 15 this, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart, he that backsnight is not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, and whose eyes a vile person is condemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. I think, I think along the ways David wrote that, somewhere along the way, Josiah found Psalm chapter 15, and it started working his heart about the impact he needed to make with his life. You see, God, let me tell you something tonight. You can play with things and deal with things, but the greatest business in all the world is dealing with people. It's the people business. 
And he dealt with people and he started realizing, I've got to help my society. And the first thing he recognized is God's word permeated his life and got a hold of him. He realized that he had to be at a place where he, Judah and Jerusalem needed to be purged. Notice some things very quickly because of time. Notice the things he purged. Look in 2 Kings 23 with me very quickly. 2 Kings 23, and I'll just give you the verse references so you can look at them. But notice in verses 4 and 11 to 17, the first thing he eliminated, he purged the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah was the problem of paganism. And the king commanded Hilkiah, verse 4, the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem, the fields of Kidron, and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And it goes on by telling us of all the idol worship that was going on. I mean, you name it. They brought in the god of the Ammonites and they brought in the god called Baal and they brought in the, they brought in the gods of the Kabbalah. I mean, all the Canaanite religions, all the hodgepodge of all that junk was inside of Judah and Jerusalem. He says, we've got, we can't just speak against it. We've got to get it out of here. So he purged them out of paganism. Got a lot of paganism we're rolling up around. We're in a pagan society. Idols everywhere. He did a purging of the paganism. Notice in chapter, chapter uh, 23, verse 5, he had to do a purging of the pretenders. In verse 5, and he put down the idolatrous priests. They were pretenders. Whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high place in the cities of Judah. These were professional clergymen. And the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the hosts of heaven. He says, you know what? We've got to do with the pretenders. We've got to do with these people here. It's not enough to take the idols out. We've got to get the people who are instigating stuff to worship this. We've got to get them out. And verse 8, when he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. And he break down the high places of the gates that were in the entering of the, of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. And in verse 20, when he slew all the priests of the high places, were there upon the altar. Hey, listen, he had to do a purging of the paganism. He had to do a purging of the pretenders. Now, Paul told us the same thing. He says, after my departure shall grievous wolves arise. And I remind you tonight, if we have false teachers somewhere, we've got to purge those false teachers out. They don't have a place in bringing contradictory doctrine and contradictory practices of, of concerning the, the practice of God's local New Testament church. But notice something else. He did a purging of the paganism. He did a purging of pretenders, which you notice verse 6. And verse 6 says, in, in, in 2 Kings 23, it says something very interesting. It tells us this. It says, and he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and snapped it small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. Ready for this? Ready for this? Watch. Number three, he had to purge the kingdom of the pornography. Groves were modern day pornography. Grove was a, was a, was a, was a, was a, a, a softer word to describe these licentious, immoral images that they put up on the trees. And what they did is they had these groves of trees and these, these public places they put out there. I remember years ago, the very first time I went to London, England, I was amazed at the pornography they put in phone booths and on places where you go business. I mean, just blatant pornography. And it's like that all around the world. You can't walk down some of these decadent cities with somebody handing out a piece of pornography. 
And listen here, they had it all over the place. They had these licentious images that, that encouraged people to go there and do their worship of these idols. No wonder, full scale-wise, the mind of the men were inflamed, the minds of the women were inflamed towards lustful desires they went there. And he said, listen, someone's got to take a stand against us. We need to purge the land out of the pornography. By the way, without spending time on him, notice in verse 6 how he got rid of it. He ground it up and turned it into powder. Just a thought there, amen. Then notice verse 7, he had to eradicate and he had to purge the land of the perversions. He broke down the house of the sodomites. Do we need to describe what that is? Somebody need a definition? Anybody need a definition? Okay, then you know what I'm talking about, right? Notice verse 7, he broke down the house of Sodom. What did they do there? Those were temple prostitutes. The word fornication in the Bible, the word fornication in his high reference speaks about male prostitution. And that's what they did there. They brought in, that's what they loved. They liked seeing that kind of stuff there. They went to the pagan lands. They saw what the Canaanites were doing. So they said, well, why don't we do the same thing? So they took, they took Jerusalem real estate. They took Jerusalem real estate and said, hey, we're going to make this a boarding house. We're going to put the Sodomites inside there, and they'll live. They'll be right next to the temple. And they put these homes of the Sodomites next to the temple of God. And listen, he went over there and says, we're not having that kind of junk there. We're getting the perversion out of the land. Took bold leadership to do that. And then notice verse 10, he had to eradicate and eliminate the painful he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of the mother. They got so depraved. They sacrificed their children to the fire. And the place of Topheth there at the valley of Hinnom, Topheth means the valley of fire, but it also meant the drum. And here's what they did, these terrible pagan practices. They knew that the parents couldn't take it as they rolled their children down that hill into that fire there to burn them. They knew they couldn't, they just couldn't deal with the cries of their children. So to, blah, to drown out the cries, they named it Topheth. And what they would do is they'd have a big drum there. And somebody would be there pounding on the drum and pounding it so loudly that they would drown out the cries of the children. So all the would hear the drums and there was a sounding of the drums that would be bouncing in their minds over and over again as children would be rolling down that hill and burning in the fire and he said we're not having any more of that stuff we're not burning any more babies we're not burning any more children we're not giving any more children away we're not going to let the devil have our kids we're going to stop that practice right then and there and once you know it tells us that he burned the bones of the priests 341 years before all this happened, an unnamed man of God, an old prophet, a young prophet, came to Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was burning a sacrifice there until the golden images and things, the golden calf. And that, that priest came, that man of God came out and he said, listen, there's going to be a young man, a, a king's going to be raised by the name of Josiah. And he's going to burn the bones of the priests on the altar. And they kind of scoffed at him. But listen, 341 years later, God's word was still true. And he's burning those bones. Now, two things I want you to realize tonight very quickly about his society. Would you notice this? Number one, judgment must begin in the house of God. We, we can't change society if we don't change ourselves. Right? Second, we need to be salt and light in the pagan society we live in. God used him because he had a focus on his society. God used him because they had a focus on his soul very quickly because we have a presentation. Look at verses 8 to 13. Along the way, after he does all this purging, Hilkiah uncovers the book of the law of the Lord. 
But along the way there, notice what happens in verses 8 to 13. Actually, go back to, I think it's 2 second, uh, second Chronicles there. 2 Chronicles, now in the 18th year of his reign, he's 26 years old, after he purged the land, notice he says, he sends these, he sends these, these workers, there's Shaphan and Azaliah and Messiah, those men there with Joah and Joahaz, and they went to repair the house of the Lord. And watch this, 72 years, for 72, watch this now, for 72 years, nothing had been done to the house of God. I mean, it looked old. It looked faded. It had, a, it had not had a paint job for 72 years. There were holes in the wall. There was furniture that was broken. There were things that needed to be repaired. It was a mess. It was a shamble. And he went around, and notice it didn't say he did a survey. They already knew it, what needed to be done. And it says here in, in chapter 23, uh, excuse me, in, in Second Chronicles, he says in the 18th year, he sent these men to repair the house of the Lord. And so the money was there. The building program was such, we don't need new buildings. We need to fix the one we've got, Amen. And so they, the money was there, and he said, let's get the money out. They didn't accounting the men. And the great and important thing is the people were ready because they were ready for leadership to say, hey, we've got to fix the house of God. We've got to clean it up. We've got to fix some things up. We've got to spruce it up. We've got to get it to look a little bit more up to date here. We've got to get this, this, we've got to get this, this old rusticness out and get it, get it bright and get this darkness out and, and get it fixed up there. And they, they did that and, and they committed the money and the work to men that the Bible says that were faithful to the work of God and they fixed the house of God. He gave attention to the sanctuary. He gave attention to fixing the things of God. Now I'm just saying today, what an amazing thing. Here's a man 26 years of age. The average 26 year old, they come for the crispy cream donut they come for their starbucks coffee they come to have their good time they drink their coffee their friends they have their hangout time they're not thinking about cleaning the house of god in fact you go to the list i was just we we're just going to list of the staff of who signed up this week to help work around the church this week and down a whole lot of 20 year olds in that but here was a 20 year old was doing something about the house of god may i say this tonight i say this like a broken record please don't be disrespectful to god's house children don't run around God's house. Don't play on the platforms. This room, the other buildings, don't play on the platforms. Don't run around. Don't make a mockery of God's place. Don't leave scratch marks there. You spill something, clean it up. Hey, if somebody leaves a mess, be somebody to clean. Hey, take care of God's house. This is everybody's investment, amen? Be respectful. Show some initiative. But notice one last thing. I've got to, I've got to quit real quickly. Look at verses 14, 33. He had to focus on the sanctuary. He had to focus on his soul. He had to focus on his society. Would you notice he had to focus on the scriptures? They found the book. Hilkiah found the book, and he was shaking. It says he found a book of the law of Moses. Now, it could have either been just all of Deuteronomy or all of the Pentateuch, all five books. I do know this, that it was the book of Deuteronomy that probably shook him up the most. Because they started reading about the cursings and the blessings. They started reading through that. And uh, as he started reading that, he said, man, I better give this to Shaphan. Because Shaphan's the scribe. And he gave it to Shaphan. And Shaphan read it. And then Shaphan went to the king. He read it to the king. And King Josiah, 26 years of age. King Josiah heard the word of God. And I wish every 26-year-old would do this. He trembled. The Bible says he rent his clothes. And he got in his face before God. He's as great as the wrath of the Lord. And fear of God. And he got the word of God to the place where he confessed his sins. And he said, hey, we need to get a word from God. And they said, go find out a hold of the prophetess. Now, at that time, they had prophetesses who could prophesize while they're too. That was not exalting women preachers. She had an insight from God, and God used her in that, but was not exalting women preachers. That's not a precedent for women preachers, because you've got to go to the New Testament. And God says to the women, they're to remain silent in the church. You know what that means there. 
And she, she reads this thing. She says, well, I'll tell you what it is. You better tell that king who found it that the wrath of God's going to be on this place. You better get right with God. And he got all the nation together, and he got them together. And just like they did during Nehemiah and Ezra's day, they got the word of God out, and he read it to all the people. And listen, this is what he did. He was so moved in his heart by what he read about the book of Deuteronomy. He was so moved as God gave the laws. It talked about loving God with all your heart. And it talked about the cursings and the blessings. Listen, he was so moved. He said, people, as he stood on the platform, he said, people, whether you agree with me or not, we are today making a covenant with the Lord. He didn't say, well, I'm going to read it to you, and you think about it. He said, there's nothing to think about. We are far from God. We have violated the laws of God. We have tolerated idol worship. We've tolerated nonsense and paganism, pornography and perversions there. That stuff's got to stop. We've got to eliminate that stuff right now and we are making a covenant with God. And I talked about this Sunday night. He did exactly the cutting of the covenant. And God used him because he put a focus on the scriptures. Hey, more Bible, more blessings. Less Bible, less blessings. No Bible, no blessings. Put an emphasis there. If I can leave you with anything tonight, we need a revival of God's word. We've gotten so used to preaching, Bible study, Bible reading time. Listen, and I'm done. Does it bother us when we miss our Bible reading time? Are, do we have sleepless nights if we didn't come to church and hear preaching? Huh? Oh yeah, we'll write the book and we'll shout amen when we're around everybody else. But what about when you're by yourself? Do we have enough discipline when we're by ourselves just to take the Bible out and read it? Memorize and study it? John Wesley said, oh, give me that book. <coughs> and any price, give me the book of God, I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Here I am, far from my busy ways of men. I sit down alone, only God is here. In his presence I open, I read his book. I remind you tonight as I close about Ernest Shackleton. Remember that, as he led an expedition of men there to the Arctic Circle, and as they went there, they went to go look for Elephant Island. As they got there, they didn't, they didn't have any idea that the icebergs there would open and close at certain times. As they got there, it closed up on them. They knew they were stranded, their, their ship was, was messed up, and so they took a boat, and they, they took this 20-foot boat and went out into the high seas, and they say the story there, that, that the waves got as high as 100 feet high and somehow along the way they made their way back to land so he could, he could bring back a ship and rescue his men. But the most amazing thing, all they had was a compass and a sexton. And when they followed that compass, the compass got them to where they needed to go. And I remind you tonight, the Bible is the compass of life. The Bible is a compass that points north, amen? It points us where we should go. It points in the only direction you and I need to look at and that's the direction to our Heavenly Father. They got that direction by looking at that compass. That compass got them there safely. You're going to go through some high waters, and you're going to go through some deep waters, and you're going to go through some difficult times, and you're going to go through some rejection, and you're going to go through some times that be hard. But I remind you tonight, just stay by the old book and hug the old book to your heart and realize this book as a compass will never fail you in your life. At the age of 12, Robert Louis Stevenson, the great author, was on the second floor of his home, and he looked out the upstairs windows. He's watching a man who was lighting the lanterns, the street lanterns back in those days, and his governess came in. She said, Robert, what are you doing? You've been in that window for a long time. What is so amusing out there to look at? And this is what he said. I'm watching a man cut holes in the darkness. 
And I remind you tonight, this man, Josiah, was a man greatly used of God because he decided at the age of 8, and the age of 16, and the age of 21, at the age of 26, that he would be used of God to cut some holes in the darkness. And I'm saying tonight, there need to be some men and some women in a church here that would say, we're going to cut some holes in the darkness for God. Because one thing, he said, I'm going to be used of God. He had a focus on his soul. He had a focus on his society, his people. He had a focus on the sanctuary, the house of God. He had a focus on Scripture. And by the way, I can also say this next chapter, he had a focus on the Savior because he reinstituted the Passover, made it a big deal. Yeah. Where's your focus tonight? To be used of God. To be used of God. There's no shortcut to being used of God. There's no easy path to being used of God. There's no plan B. There's no alternatives. The Bible makes it very clear. This man was used of God. There was no king like him before or after. Can God use you? Would you have a focus on your soul? Focus on the scriptures? Focus on the sanctuary? Focus on the society? Father, tonight we ask as you work in our hearts and we prepare for the presentation this evening, we as they do a great mighty work in our soul, though, glorify and please the name of the Lord. Father, thank you for Josiah. What a, what a positive, wonderful example. Thank you that he walked in all the ways of David, his father. He found a model for his life. He, he had a connection to the past that was very valuable for him. And tonight, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be inspired by all the wonderful things Josiah did. He was on the throne 31 years. Thank you for everything that was accomplished. I pray tonight if there's someone here without Christ as their Savior, I pray they'd call on Jesus to save them. And I pray for all of us tonight that we would embody what Josiah's name means, the fire of the Lord. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. Burn it deep within me. Let your voice be heard. Father, through the invitation, we pour our hearts to you for a friend day that you do a great mighty work. We pray for this in Jesus' name. As we stand and you make your way tonight, you find your way here as the pianist plays. Let's stand, your eyes closed, heads bowed. If you need to make your way, find your way. Now let's pray for the fire of God in our lives tonight. Let's pray especially for friend day. Would you do that? So simple. He walked in the ways of David, his father. It's so simple. So simple. Some things need to be purged. Revival can never come unless there's first a removal. Things need to be removed, extricated, eradicated, ground up, stamped upon, strewn out upon the graves, and strewn upon the waters here. What do you need to eradicate tonight? What do we need purging in our hearts? And then tonight, let's love God's word. Obey it, revere it like Josiah did. Father, this evening we're so thankful that you love us. Father, help us to revive, to have a revival of your word in our hearts, revival of holiness, the blessings of God. In a moment, Lord, we pray you dismiss us with your blessing. Pray for great outpouring of your spirit on our church for Friend Day this Sunday. We pray for this.